Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. On this podcast, we figure out how to live our own happiest lives, shedding the fear of judgment from others. Today, I'm feeling through some of that with Frankie Bridge. When you have kids, that's the biggest learning curve is that we don't have that control to make everything perfect. Although I worry about them, it's more about how I'm doing the job. Do they deserve better than me? Would someone else be better at being their mum? You know, I have these real dark days where I say to Wayne, you'd all be better off without me. And then on a brighter day, I know that's not true, but in those days where I'm really struggling, I genuinely believe that that is the answer. Singer and author Frankie has always been very open about her mental health, but in her new book, Grow, and indeed in this chat, she thinks about how becoming a parent and all the new practicalities and emotions that have come with that have interacted with her existing mental health struggles. I have to say, she did a very good job of making me step back and think about how much time I actually allow myself to claim as my own. Not that much as it turns out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. And now, here's the show. Hey, Frankie. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I mean, we're recording this in the middle of a heat wave, so it's um, this is a full-on experience. I know, I know. It's um, it's hot. It's one of the, it's, we're so British, though, aren't we? We're like, oh, it's so miserable. It won't stop raining. Now it's too hot. We're not built for it. We're not. We're built not. For it. We don't have air conditioning in our homes and stuff like that that they do in America, so we can't deal with it. No, our houses aren't built for it, are they? That's no. our excuse. <laughs> no, it's it's madness. But anyway, we're going to troop through. There might be sweat dripping from us, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a lovely deep chat, no matter what. So, this is weird because you can see sort of markers of time with stuff like this. But I spoke to you about a year ago, which is blowing my mind because it feels like it was last month. But a whole year has passed. I know, which is bonkers. And we were talking because we were, you kindly said yes to doing an interview for the Happy Place Festival, that the digital one we did last year, and we had such a lovely conversation which I absolutely adored and and that was obviously sort of near to the you know it was sort of the beginnings of this weird time we've lived through and it was dare I say it almost a novelty still at that point whereas now we are just like well over it and you know it's just been all too weird Mm -hmm. but talking about mentally how you've dealt with the ups and downs and what's been thrown our way over the last 12 months how, how have you been? Um, you know what, like that whole Corona coaster thing, I think is just a really real 
thing like I just have been so up and down with it all um like you say the first one really was a novelty I'd been away a lot I'd been really busy and it was really nice to have that moment of just having to be at home and kind of like I'm not a FOMO person but also having that realization that everyone is at home and everyone's doing the same thing it was just it was really nice and then just after that I've just found it really hard I think um the kids trying to explain things to them and as things have kept changing that's what I found the hardest so when it was like you're you're locked in you can't go out it was very straightforward the rules were quite you know simple and then I found as things started to change and rules started to go backwards and forwards that's when mentally I've struggled the most because I kind of feel like I don't know if I'm coming or going, if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And I found that really hard and having to wait on someone to tell me what I'm allowed to do, I think has been mm, the hardest thing. Oh my thing. God, don't even get me started on that one. That will be an hour long rant <laughs> from exactly. me that we don't have the time for <laughs> or we just, we're not going to bother. But yeah, no, I, I, I completely hear you. And um, and of course, you know, when we spoke last year, you were talking all about your book Open, which is a, a brilliant account of your experiences of depression and anxiety amongst other life events over the years, which has been hugely helpful to lots of people. And now you've you've written another book. So you've written Grow. Yeah. How exciting. I know, yeah. I mean, it didn't feel exciting as the t- at the time. Trying to write in lockdown was hard. Like, I just was so uninspired. And I realised that I'd written the whole of Open out of my house. It's really strange. Like I went to coffee shops or I like forced my, if I had a deadline, I'd have to go and stay away from home for the night. So trying to write it in the lockdown, I found really difficult. And the irony of it was that it was about, Grow is more about my mental health surrounded about being a parent and being pregnant and having kids and stuff. And actually there was nothing more, there was nothing harder than, as most parents will know, than having kids in, in lockdown. Oh my so, God, um, I know. Yeah. Trying to work. I mean, <laughs> I, I've had exactly the same thing, you know, just trying to juggle that intensity of the kids being at home the whole time and trying to focus is, is mad. So, But this is really interesting because, as you've just said, the book there looks at mental health in the context of, of being um, a parent. And, and it's so true. You know, you, you open up in the book by saying... You know, so often people go, mum and baby are doing well, but, you know, what, what does that even mean? OK, right, they're, they're, they're physically OK and that's amazing and we're very grateful for that. But what's going on in the mum's head? Mm. You know, you've just been through something so bonkers being pregnant or not if there's been adoption or surrogacy, whatever. But now you've got this huge change in your life and you've got a kid and your life's changed overnight. And, and mentally, we're meant to just feel breezy and happy about it. That's what's almost sort of advertised that, you know, instantly when you become a parent, everything's rosy and it's all wonderful and, and it's just so complex. And of course, let's go back to the start because whether you've had mental health issues prior to becoming a parent or not, you will probably find there are big ups and downs. But of course, you've experienced depression and anxiety since you were a kid. And this is before you even got into the public eye and before you were a pop star, etc. So for people that don't know, at what age did you start to recognise that you might feel just a bit wobbly about life or overly worried for for the age that you were at it's really hard to put like a proper pinpoint on what exact age but I was really young you know like I was still I would say still at primary school when I was aware that 
I would really overthink things and that things seemed really scary to me that weren't to everyone else. So, you know, like the six week summer holidays, the lead up to that of knowing you were going away with the family, I would dread that summer holiday for six months leading up to it because I'd be nervous about the flight the whole time. Or my mum used to work away a lot. Every time she left, I was convinced she would never come back. And you know, like my sister didn't think that way, you know, she kind of saw things as, as they as they were, you know, surface worries type thing. And it just was a kind of um, almost like a family joke that Frankie was a worrier. And it used to come out in like stomach aches and breathing problems and things like that. And back then that just wasn't a thing for kids. Kids didn't worry. Kids didn't have anxiety. And it was just, yeah, I was just a worrier. Yeah, it's so good to hear you talk about it. Because like you say, Back when we, I'm older than you, but back when we were kids, it wasn't really talked about and it wasn't sort of common knowledge that there were kids out there that felt like that. It was just, you know, you were a kid, you went to school, you played in the park. Whereas now there is a much more open dialogue around, especially now we've got phones and screens and social media to Mm. contend with, that we are having those sorts of conversations with kids. And I I wonder, you know, in the lead up to this, I was sort of thinking about it and, and my own children who I can see nearing the window right now don't you dare come and knock on the window of course he's coming in <laughs> you okay he showed me his pokemon cards i mean this is what are they good ones are they are they're called gx's i don't know what that means you okay buddy i'm gonna be out in a bit i mean this is what i mean it's so relevant that this is happening during this conversation but i you know i haven't so this is rex who's literally a foot away from me outside the window he's he's nine next year honey's gonna be six very soon and i haven't had a conversation with them where i've purposefully sat them down and said this is my experience of how my brain works or you know whatever language you want to put to the subject Mm. on a on a sort of kid level i've not had any sort of chat with them about that and I have a little bit with my stepkids but only tentatively because I also don't want to sort of I don't know be putting things on them that they don't necessarily want to hear right now I feel really unsure Mm. about the whole thing have you had any sort of discussions with your kids about mental health mental illness that whole subject um I've never really gone deeply into my mental health um if I've had those days where I can't get out of bed or you know I can't stop crying one day when my depression really hits me I just kind of say oh mummy doesn't feel well today and they both really just accept it and they kind of leave me to it really um but I do try to talk to them about their feelings which all sounds a bit woo woo and whatever but I I I try to do it in a way of I don't know, just making them aware and thinking about how they're feeling. So often if like at bedtime, because I find my kids, I get nothing out of them until bedtime when they're trying to avoid going to sleep. Yeah, I know this <laughs> You know, one. you pick them up from school. Oh, what did you do today? What did you have for lunch? Da, da, da. I don't remember. Don't remember. Yeah, don't remember. And I remember feeling like that. So yeah. I think, why do I do it as well? But you just generally, <laughs> you want to know. I know. Um, it's so annoying. Um, so I kind of, I, I just do this small thing with them where I just say at night time, what nice thing has happened to you today and was there one thing today that made you feel sad or that you didn't like and they both actually really enjoy it if I forget one night they'll be like mummy you haven't asked us about our good and bad thing today Mm. and it kind of gives me an insight into what's going on with them but also I feel like it makes them have to sit and think about it and I don't know like I don't know what the right thing is to although I've suffered and things like that doesn't mean I know how to approach a child with those things but I kind of know 
if one of them's anxious, so like my eldest, he gets quite anxious about things. He's a real deep thinker. I know not to say to him, it's fine. You're fine. Mummy and daddy are here. You're fine. Because that just, it, it gives you no reassurance. Yeah. Mummy, I'm scared of boats. It might sink. No, you're fine. Mummy and daddy are here. We won't let anything happen to you. That doesn't do anything in his brain to make him feel better about it. So I just kind of try and go, okay, yeah. And I hate that you're not, you shouldn't lie to your kids because I want to say boats don't sink. But, you know, they do and he knows they do. So it's especially because of YouTube. So I just kind of go, okay, yeah, we know some boats sink, but it's really uncommon and da da da, X, Y, and Z. And I try and have conversations with them about certain subjects rather than mental health. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm trying to do the same, Frankie. I think I, I feel like nervous to start bringing in you know, my own experience because I don't want their decisions to be informed by that necessarily. And, and weirdly, you know, my stepkids are old. I mean, one of them is an adult. Arthur's 19 now. But, I mean, I think he'd be mortified if I sat him down and was like, let me tell you about my story. He'd be like, oh, my God, please get me out of here. But I think, you know, it's nice to know that if the time was right and they were struggling that you Mm. would be able to apply, you know, not even advice like this is what I did, but just having an empathetic listening ear, I think is, I guess, the key. And it's really funny because when I was reading your new book, which I luckily got a very early copy of, um, there were so many bits where I was like, oh my God, we are the same person because I I struggle (laughs) with so many of the same things as you. And one of them, you've already just demonstrated it. And I do this all the time too, sort of saying, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. And this is what I have, my sort of perspective of life is usually that everybody else knows what's going on and I am clueless and I don't know (laughs) and I'm wrong. Everything that I do is wrong and everything everyone else does is a real like well, like a concise, well thought out decision. And it's really hard in with that frame of mind to trust your own instincts, which is imperative when you're a parent because you Mm. have to do it. So how do you navigate that? I don't know, it's really hard because it is that thing, like I I said in the book, like it's that one thing when you're about to have kids and everyone says, you just know, it just happens and you figure that your baby out and whatever and you think, and the only thing I can liken it to, like I said, is is your first kiss. You know, you, you say to, I don't know if you had these conversations, yes. I had them with my sister. Yeah, but how do you know what to do? Well, yeah. you just do, it just happens. And you're like, but what if it doesn't? <laughs> and I think that's the same with having a baby. You're like, but what if I get the baby and I don't know what to do? And I think we don't expect to know what to do when we meet a, another human being. We don't expect to know them inside out, what they want, what they don't want. So why do we expect that from a newborn? But I think it's been sold because we've been sold that dream, like you said at the beginning, that you're going to love it and everything's going to be fine. And I don't know, I think it's just, I think you have to be patient. I think that's the only thing you can be, is like patient that it will come and uh, try your hardest to drown out the the help that you do want and yeah, that you don't the want. Noise. I don't know. There's no answer to it, is there? It's no. Just, you know you what? figure it out along the way. I just had a thought there while you were talking. It's kind of a fine line maybe of, you know, we're, we're not meant to know everything and, and we can't and we'll make mistakes and that's absolutely normal and it's obviously absolutely fine. But also we do need to trust ourselves to some extent because I was when you were talking there, I got a real image of like, you know, when when you're if you've got a cat and your cat has kittens or, or you go, I don't know, to a wildlife park and there's a 
rhino that's given birth, those animals, without having spoken language, they know what to do. Mm. And the baby knows what to do. It's feeding off the mum or the mum is looking after nurturing the, the kitten or the baby rhino or whatever. And I think because there is so much outside noise as a human, we lose it because we're going, oh my God, I haven't read this book and that person said to do this. Mm. And it's just, and also one thing we should touch on, I'm jumping all over the place here, but this is how my brain's (laughs) working in this heat, is the judgment. This is what gets in the way of our instinct. Is there any other area of life where judgment is more ubiquitous? It's crazy. Not only about, you know, you talk about in the book some big things that you had to mentally navigate, like making the decision to stay on your medication during pregnancy Mm. and feeling shame because of outside judgment. And we shouldn't be dealing with that. We shouldn't be dealing with judgment when it comes to if your kid has a dummy or not, where your kid sleeps, what you're feeding your kid. Like, it's got nothing to do with anyone else. And... But it's really hard in the moment to feel that and to feel okay about it. Yeah, it's it's one of my biggest things with being a parent. And, and I think it's something that I will never understand is the judgment and the need to judge. Like, let's be honest, we all judge at some point. It's not me sitting here and saying I'm holier than now and I never look at anyone and think I wouldn't do it like that or I wouldn't do it like this. But why do we have to say it? Why do we have to draw attention to it? Because at the end of the day, all of us are figuring it out as we go along. All of us. No one is the exception to that rule. And some might just handle it better than others. But I guarantee you there'll be a point where they mess up or they feel guilty or whatever. And I just think, why can't we just look at each other and say, we're all just doing our best. You're, in most cases, your child is a your most important thing you know their happiness is at your best interest so why do we question it so much I I don't know what the answer is to that because everyone thinks they're right and every child is different and if you have more than one child you know that more than anyone you know my sister's just had twins they could not be more different Mm. and they were born at the same time they have been brought up at the same time she does nothing different with them and they are like polar opposites. Yeah, yeah, so I know. So why do we think one size fits all? Because it doesn't even for your own multiple children. I think some of the time we try, if it, you know, if we're really honest, we're just trying to feel better about ourselves, aren't we? We're going, yeah. and also, you know what? I, I've seen this happen, in, it, not just in the context of parenting, but in life. And, and I've even been dealt this card where someone has judged me so massively and and I felt that it's disproportionate to whatever's happened. And I can see they're doing it and I've done it in the past, we all have. It's easier to see when an outsider does it to you Mm. and flicks it on you, that they're just trying to lessen the mistakes they know they've made. So if you put more heat on other people's mistakes or judgments or uh, decisions in life that you can feel sanctimonious for a moment then it might lessen the heat on your own mistakes but it doesn't work like that that's so true so it just I, doesn't work like that I heard um Ramesh talking the other day and he was talking about his kids and they play on Fortnite and stuff like that they play on the computer and stuff and he said before he had his before his kids were older they'd been out for dinner with another family and the family was saying oh our son is always on the computer he's addicted and da, da, da. And he said we had this real like moment on the way home and you all have done it we've all done it as parents where you drive home and you're talking to each other and you're like 
we'll never do that, will we, babe? No, we'll <laughs> never do that. I'll also never be like that. Oh, we wouldn't let that happen. We'd do this, we'd do that. And he says, and now here I am, and my kids are exactly the same. And I'm yeah. like, that is innocent judgment. You know, they've not said anything to the person or whatever. But it just made me laugh because I thought, oh, my God, we all do that. You walk yeah. away and you go, I won't do that. 100% no, because we're just it. trying to feel like... <laughs> we belong and that we're okay and that we're deserving of being here. I think it goes down to like basic human instincts, like feeling like we're doing okay. Mm. You know, we're doing all right. I'm safe. I'm okay because I'm making the right decisions. And, and, you, and you say in the book, I've actually written this line down because you say in the book, when we're talking about mistakes, mistakes are no longer something to be made and then learned from. They're something to be held against us by others, but mainly ourselves. And that is so true because although we are scared of outside judgment, really, we are, and we know this, we're our, we're our own harshest critics and we berate ourselves for the tiniest things. And when you bring the element of perfectionism into it, which I know is something you deal with, I certainly deal with it. Mine has probably always been there, but also is a reaction to a sort of element of PTSD that now I'm trying to keep everything perfect so that I I am safe. You know, like I can't, there can't be any room or margin for error. And I'm trying to constantly spin those plates so it's all perfect. And if something does go wrong, I mean, my husband constantly is going to be what just calm down why are you so bothered about that it's it's a nothing thing Mm -hmm. but I blow up these tiny mistakes into something huge because I see myself as this like awful person who's getting it all wrong and and you know mistake making when it comes to parenting it's unavoidable you ain't gonna parent and not make a mistake it's impossible well if you look through you know history are there any parents that haven't made a mistake or screwed up their kids in one way or another? Like, right. you know, as much as I'm sure you love your parents, you'll probably remember something they said to you once or this time that X happened. And I'm not saying that that's the reason for all you, all issues that you have in life, but there is going to be something that you do that your kids don't like or that wasn't quite right. And I, I kind of set jokes and said, well, then therapists wouldn't have a job. Exactly. If that was like, if that was like, you know, and you look at other fam, or you look at your own family sometimes and you think, God, it's quite dysfunctional or, oh, there's this part of the family that doesn't quite get on or X, Y, and Z. And you think, and you look at yours now and you go, oh, ours is quite good. And I kind of said, I said to my friend yesterday, actually, I said, I wonder what will happen in our family bubble that will then be that thing where everyone goes, oh, God, yeah, this part of the family, this happens, or I don't know, like that bit of dysfunctionality or whatever. Yeah, well, it's all changing constantly as people get older and grow and have different experiences, and you can't manage it. None of us can contain that. You can't. You've just got to let go of you. It's the the having no control, and I think when you have kids, that's the biggest learning curve is that, you know, if you are a perfectionist like you say you are and like I am, that's a big element of control it's like we don't have that control to make everything perfect and I think when you have kids it becomes even stronger because you can't stop them from falling over you can't stop them from crying you know there's all these things and you think and and there is that big realization that god yeah I can't control everything in life but it's quite hard to accept and you can accept it in some parts and not in others and it's funny that becoming a parent is one of the biggest jobs you'll do Yet no one questions it. No one asks you whether you should be a parent. Mm. No one auditions you or interviews you for that role. It's harder to buy a puppy than it is to have yes. a child. So it's funny. I've That's always blown my mind. I'm like, you know, it's so easy, but it's it's not, you know. 
I know, isn't that? It is. It's such a big decision, but we uh, we often go into it beautifully naively. I would say I certainly did. Jesse and I didn't sit down and go, well, you know, what kind of parents are we going to be, and how do we want to <laughs> deal with you know problems that might arise? You just don't. You just you know you dive into it, and I think that is the only way because there's too many. There's there's just so many things to look at within the family structure and and how things might unfurl, and, and it's all uncertain. We don't know what's happening from day to day. How has that impacted your anxiety that was already there? Because you were living with anxiety prior to becoming Mm -hmm. a parent. And now you've got, you know, this daily element of uncertainty with two people that you love with every inch of your heart. You know, how does that affect your anxiety? It's funny because it definitely got better. Like I said, I think it was that realisation that, Frank, you can't control everything. Like, look at these two little humans, like, try as you might, they're going to fall over, they're going to cry, someone at school's going to say something to them that they don't like. And in in a weird way, that really helped. But it comes with its its own anxieties, I suppose. Like, although I worry about them, it's more about how I'm doing the job. You know, do they deserve better than me? Would someone else be better at being their mum? You know, I have these real dark days where I say to Wayne, you'd all be better off without me, you know, you'd have been better off with, with, with someone else. And then on a brighter day, I know that's not true, but in those days where I'm really struggling, I genuinely believe that that is the answer. Mm. They should have just had someone else. I, I, I know that. I, well, I know that feeling. I know, and, it, and it comes along with, I think, depression, probably more than anxiety, is, yeah. is, is a feeling of... Um, hopelessness in that situation and again like that sort of berating yourself and never quite being good enough and it's and it's it's a huge shame because it's a massive pressure being a parent and something that you rightly point out in the book is that we've talked more in the last 10 maybe 20 years about postnatal depression and again that wasn't talked about before then so there's been progress in some ways but we don't talk about antenatal depression at all ever like we don't hear about that no and it and it's because again it's advertised as the happiest you're blooming you're radiant you look amazing you're creating life but you know your brain could be doing god knows what up there and and it doesn't get talked about so can you talk to us about your your experience of pregnancy and and what was going on mentally for you yeah so for I think I kind of went into pregnancy with this you know I just was like my body had never really changed. I'd kind of always stayed the same weight. Nothing had really looked much different. And I kind of went into pregnancy quite naively thinking, I'll just be one of those people. Everyone says you blossom and you bloom when you're pregnant and that'll, that'll be me. Um, but there was a bigger decision on the antidepressants conversation before I got pregnant. Like you said, I stayed on my antidepressants and I didn't know that that was an option until that point. And I just remember talking to my doctor and just having like this real honest conversation. And and he just said to me, he was like, Frankie, I just don't think you can come off them because I'd been hospitalized for my mental health before. He was like, there's a real big chance that you will have this baby and you won't be around to be able to look after it. So There are some antidepressants that you can't stay on, but luckily what I was on, I could. But you can't take any anti-anxiety medication. And I really thought that while I was pregnant, I would just be happy um, because I'd always wanted to be a mum. I'd always wanted to be pregnant. And luckily for us, it happened rather easily. And then actually, I found being pregnant really difficult. 
my body really changed. And again, I had no control over it. And it was the first time that I realized that I really controlled my food. Um, and I'd had an, I'd had an eating disorder for quite a few years. And it didn't really become apparent to me. Uh, my doctors knew that. But for me, because for the first time, I was I was really hungry. And I really enjoyed food and food wasn't there to just keep me going or something that was a necessity. Like I really enjoyed it. So I found, I think it was the lack of control during pregnancy that really made me suffer mentally. And I was, I was really depressed. And then the guilt that comes along with that of being depressed when all you've wanted is to be pregnant. It's just like, you know, it's, it's a minefield. Um, and then with my second, I had high premise rather I can never even say it and I've had it. I can't um, say it, I know. HG, Kate Middleton has it. That's where you can't stop being sick and I've got a fear of being sick and that I couldn't deal with my toddler because I was too busy being sick and then the guilt of, you know, abandoning him and oh, just so many things. Um, it, it was it was hard. I didn't, I didn't enjoy pregnancy and for me it definitely was a means to an end. Well, and thank you for saying that because I don't think, there's many people saying that out loud and it's really important because the amount of people that might be walking around now feeling shame or guilt that they're not just going oh my god I'm so lucky and look at me all pregnant you know Mm. I had my mental health was a bit all over the place with both I'd, I'd say and I've probably not really talked about that enough and some of it was circumstantial but but talking about the sickness element again it's not talked about with the sort of capacity for for mental health and i with honey weirdly i i i was only actually physically sick maybe twice but i had high level nausea all day every day for 9 months and the first 3 months was so bad i could barely put the lights on i couldn't get out of bed everything smelled awful to me um, I, I was sort of retching, you know, I, and, it, and it lasted until the day after I gave birth. And at times I felt broken. Like I was looking at a calendar going, there's no way I can do this for nine months. It was so, it wasn't like, oh, I feel a bit poorly. It was like, I can't stand up. I feel so mm. sick. And it's that thing of trying <sighs> to, if you're at work or whatever, yeah, having was. to act like everything's fine. Everything's fine. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. And another thing that I loved reading about in your book, well, it's a very sad thing to read, but again, it needs to be brought to the forefront of this conversation is when you look at mental health and pregnancy or being a parent, obviously OCD comes into the picture heavily as well. And and there was a stat in your book that 15% of new mums experience intrusive thoughts. And I talked a bit about this on the podcast to Stacey Solomon, who I think she still experiences it now, but has had it. And, And I had it massively after I gave birth to Rex and you know mentally I wasn't in a great place but then weirdly I mean he's as I said nearly nine and I had a really bad episode of this probably springtime this year for about a month I didn't talk to anyone about it and eventually I did 
talk to a therapist about it because it was becoming really un- unmanageable and, and I was sort of I could see myself just going down a really slippery path with this one and it's so common and at the time you think God, I'm so mad. Like, no one thinks like this. What's going on? I can't stop these thoughts. I'm completely out of control with it. But 15% is a lot of people. I know. I know. And I think people don't... Like we say, pregnancy is supposed to be this lovely thing that's that's to be enjoyed. And I think that's why we feel like those things we have to keep to ourselves. You know, even your son's nine, all these things you should be used to talking about now, technically. But we convince ourselves that, that... that we're bad for feeling this way or that we should just be enjoying it all or we should just have everything together. But that is because that's what society makes us feel. You can't say those things out loud. I hate this whole, I love my kids, but it drives me mad. When my friends say it to me, I say, start that sentence again. I know you love your children. You can have a bad day. You can have a day where you're looking at your kids and you're thinking, I can't do this anymore you'll have an argument with your husband. I don't think that you hate your husband now. Yeah, you know, I love my husband, but, like, but, as if. Yeah, you don't. You sit down and you go, right, he's, he's a wanker. Right? Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? And it's just like no one blinks an eyelid. But when it comes to your kids, we all mm. feel like we have to defend it before we say it. There's room for and it all. So you weird. can be deeply full of gratitude, but also really be struggling. You know, you don't have mm. to be just one thing. There's room for it all. And I think that's where the conversation needs to to really change it's so funny and this is not something you know that hasn't been discussed loads of times before but I think we have to touch on it the notion of mum guilt we hear this being thrown about all the time and and we talk to our friends about it maybe or we hear new mums talk about it when they want to go back to work or whatever but we still haven't found a balance with it you know we talk about it a lot but there there are little Mm. solutions and you know Catelyn Morant who was on the podcast recently was talking about creating some sort of tax relief for new mums so that they could, whether it's get childcare and have the tax relief from that or whatever system in place to help them, because there is nothing. And we are just left with this sort of archaic feeling because for me, my grandmothers didn't work because that wasn't the done thing back then. Mm -hmm. And their mums certainly didn't work. It's quite a new thing that we're going off and you know, it sounds mad to say that, but, you know, for the right. for, for the most part, to have a full-on career, not just a job that you're doing to, to help out with the family life, that's relatively new. So we're dealing with that. We're dealing with the repercussions of that and, and the sort of hangover of, uh, of the previous generations. And, you know, we're talking about it a lot, but are we getting anywhere with it? I don't know. I don't think so. I think because, I think because we say it quite like, Oh, the mum guilt or whatever, you know, like it's Flippantly, quite blase, yeah. yeah. And and it's and it's not. Like it's really hard. I have you know, I have friends that desperately don't want to go back to work and obviously they have to because they can't afford not to, but then childcare is so expensive, so expensive. that sometimes it doesn't work in their favour to go back to work. But then they desperately feel they need that time away but then they feel guilty about wanting that time away from their child you know there's so many spinning plates there's so many thoughts and feelings at that time and I genuinely went into pregnancy thinking that I know girl bands don't last forever so I was like we'll have our kids and you know I'll stay at home I've had two great careers I'll be quite happy to stay at home and be with the kids and that's just not how it turned out like I just there's like there's a whole piece of me missing if I don't go into work and I genuinely feel like it makes me a better parent when I come back 
But that doesn't mean to say that it doesn't come with me feeling like I haven't given my kids 100%. I haven't given my job 100%. You know, it's that perfectionism thing again of wanting to do everything perfectly. And we have now been told you can do it all. You can have it all. What if you don't want it all? What if you don't want to have to do it all? And I don't know, it's just, it's really hard. And like, you go into work and everyone asks you, who's looking after your kids? I know. Who's looking after your kids? I don't think Wayne's ever been asked. Of course, no man has ever asked that. (laughs) And it drives me mad. It's just those small little things that just reinstate to a mum that they're doing it wrong. I know. That they should be at home. That You know, it drives me mad. God, it's complicated. It blows my mind. I feel exactly (laughs) the same all the time. And then that's before we've even gotten to the place where we can think, how would I feel about taking time out for myself? Because mm-hmm. that one gets totally pushed to one side. You know, if I ever say to Jesse, I'm just going to go for a walk on my own for an hour, could be on a weekend or whatever, and I'm just going to listen to a podcast that I want to listen to, I feel like I really need to do this. I have to really feel confident in doing that because <laughs> otherwise the whole walk I'm going, you're a shit mom. Who do you think you are doing this? Some people, you know, single parents don't get to do this. You're so, and I just literally beat myself up for the hour and I've wasted it. Yeah. So we're, we're even giving ourselves a hard time, giving ourselves a break, like a little bit of time out to just be, yeah. just to be a human. It's like we feel bad about doing it, but then, like you say, you don't soak it up when you actually do it, so it's a complete waste, and then you feel bad that you didn't just enjoy it. <laughs> and, like, listen to yourself. You're talking about an hour, Fern, of going for a walk know, on your pathetic. own. It's ridiculous. And, like, <sighs> you know, I just I don't feel like everyone feels like that. Like, I know we give men a bad rep, and I don't mean it in that way. Wayne's a great dad, but, you know, he wouldn't. He wouldn't feel bad about that. And he says it to me all the time. He was like, he's like, Frank, why... Just go and do what you need to do. Why are you feeling bad about it? But it's like... Well, because we've been brought up... Yeah, we've been brought up in a structure where women don't have that space. Yeah, and it's so important. We don't. And that's that's the thing. How can you be a good parent if you're not fundamentally happy or if you're not mentally in the right place to be able to do everything you need to do? And if you're not, you know, you end up snapping at them and then you feel yeah. guilty about snapping at them. And, and also, what are we teaching our kids? We're teaching them, you go to work, you work hard, you come home, you work hard when you're at home and then you go to bed and you wake up and do it all again. And one of the biggest things um, I learned when I did go into hospital with depression and anxiety, um, what was it called? It was something like, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but basically like they would give me like a breakdown of my day. And in that day, I had to put in two things that like were like enjoyable or something that were for me. Even if that was like a cup of tea with biscuits or doing some drawing or whatever and they're like it's healthy to have these things throughout your day but I guarantee you if you asked a hundred people whether they have one thing in their day that they take the time out for themselves that they genuinely enjoy I bet they can't give you anything and it's so hard we're not reaching for joy are we we're reaching to like push ourselves to just get through the day like and that's one thing I learned in lockdown I was like god I wish days away if we just get to tonight then, you know, then tomorrow we'll do this and then you get to the next day and you do the same thing. And I just think it's, it's sad. You know, my son said to me, is. Um, my youngest, who's five, and um, he's really inquisitive, loves asking questions, loves learning, but about what he wants to learn about. School, hates it. You know, enjoys mm-hmm. everything else. But, oh, mummy, all we do is work. And he said to me the other day, he said, mummy, all I do, <laughs> five-year-old issues, is go to school, work all day, 
come home, do homework and go to bed and then get up and go to school, do work. And I thought, my God, you've got that for the rest of your life. Like, you know, you, you do it at school and then you do it at work. And I thought, oh, I want to make this easier for him. But equally, I'm like, so I was just like, yeah, mate, you know, we've all done that. I had to do that. And then I go to work. But if, even as a child, they're aware of that. And I just think, what are we teaching them by not saying, yeah, go Reach do for this, joy. Go play. Yeah, whatever makes you Reach happy. Reach for joy. Exactly. Mm. Do what makes you feel happy. And, you know, even the school system is brilliant as all of our teachers are here in the UK the system is still pretty old-fashioned oh, so and um, I could talk to you all day about that as well oh I know <laughs> the I guilt mean, that gives me sending my kids in and we're you know, know we are lucky to have that but you know all reaching for that same milestone we teach them it from a really young age we yeah. all have to be the same amount of, of good yeah. we all have to get to that same point and I think that's why as adults we're like okay we all have to be the same we all have to be this good at everything. We all have to reach the top. Mm, and it's mad. that's not necessarily what makes every person happy. No. And if you look at some of the most brilliant people out there that I think collectively we would all admire and say are doing cool things, making a good impact on the planet or in society, a lot of those people didn't even go to university. They're just people that had a really good idea, a lot of passion and drive, and mm-hmm. probably more than anything enjoy what they do. And that's definitely not taught, it's not at the forefront of education, put it that way. And that probably <laughs> is more our job to encourage that. But it's hard not to, because, you know, I think like that, most definitely. And I'm constantly trying to encourage, you know, Rex is obsessed with the sea. So I'm constantly trying to get him to the sea, yep. to find sea creatures, to, you know, we've got some amazing beaches in the UK and to do that as much as I can with him. But equally, I will get feared up like, oh, my God, he's not reaching the milestones at school that he's meant to. And his other friends are reading more or whatever. And it's exhausting. Oh, it's so exhausting. It's exhausting. And it, and it gets competitive, you know, oh, oh you know, oh, my know. kid's on these spellings, what are yours on? And, and, and all this. And oh, I think God I care me. less what your kid is on. But then I think to myself, don't listen to it. But then I go home and I'm like, oh my God, he still can't say the. He still doesn't recognise the in the book, you know. And I had a son, my eldest, he had speech issues he had like sensory issues and the fact that he now reads freely on his own and he enjoys it Fern like he loves to work hard at school and he was my child that I worried about so much and you know it just goes to show that they're either you know they're either that way inclined or they're not you know he's had to work harder to get to that point but he enjoys it whereas my youngest he could probably do it standing on his head but he's not interested But also, you know, none of us are set in stone. And that's the weird thing when raising kids. We assume that everything that we're doing as parents and everything they're learning at school is going to be solidified forever in their lives. And if I think about my own life, as a kid, all I wanted to do is dance. I hated reading. I hated it. I would do anything to avoid reading. And now... I would rather read than anything in the world. And you're it's an my, And I write books. It's my favourite, favourite medium. It's my favourite hobby is to read. I love writing. And honestly, it wasn't until I got to probably 17 when I started travelling on my own that I really got stuck into books. And now, you know, well, I mean, I have to read books every week for for work at the moment. But it's a joy always. And I think no teacher would have said, oh, that's what, she's going to end up doing one day they would, <laughs> I would have been written off as someone that would have just never academically done anything and I think mm. we've got to take the heat off ourselves when we're parents and go does this really mean anything when we look at the whole span of these beautiful kids lives 
No. no, they'll make up their own minds as they get older. And I they'll think they find teach you to find the joy in the small things. I think that was a big thing yes. that helped with my like anxiety and stuff when they were younger. Was you know, seeing. I know it sounds really cheesy, but I remember just watching my kids on the trampoline and thinking, oh "My God, look how happy!" Like pure joy. Like not even just a bit like, "Oh, this is a bit fun." And like bubbles, how happy bubbles make a yeah. kid and how simple that moment is. And I just thought, why do we lose that as an adult? Why do we, we, lo- we lose that ability to be able to, I know people talk about it all the time, but to be in the moment and to just enjoy things because we're too busy thinking about worrying about all the things we didn't do in the, in the past and all the things we need to do in the future. I know. Kids it's don't constant. have that. We're so uncomfortable in the moment, aren't we? I'm so guilty of it. I I feel a lack of safety in the moment. So I'm constantly going, what's happening next? I need to forward plan. I need to safe proof every moment coming up. And it's, (laughs) it's terrible. When you look at your own kids, and we've discussed this a bit, you know, seeing how different they are in personality, Mm. you know, mine are absolute chalk and cheese as well. Can you see, it was weird, I was was talking to a very wise person I, I know recently about this, about what... And you have to maybe think about it a little bit. I certainly had to. What the individual kid, not collectively, if you've got more than one kid, but what the individual kid has taught you or is teaching you. And with a bit of thought, I can see Rex is here to teach me patience, 100%. You know, he does things his own way. I've got to just deal with that all the time. And then with Honey, she's teaching me I think self-acceptance. I really get a feeling that she's here to teach me that. She's constantly like very thoughtful of everyone and wanting to make sure everyone's okay, but also checking in with me. Mm. And then with my stepkids, I can see it's been more about receiving love, like feeling okay with the abundance of receiving love. And I, and I wonder if you can see that lesson that your kids have taught you. Oh my God, it's such a good question. Um, I think my eldest, he's the one that has taught me the most, you know, just how we don't have control over everything, but we don't need to. He's um, teaching you to let go. Yeah, he does. He does teach me to let go. Um, like I said, you know, with his learning difficulties when he was younger, he's where I would never have thought he would be. Just, yeah, so many little things like that. You know, he's got, and it sounds really silly, he has really bad asthma. We're in and out of hospital all the time. But even with that, I can think I'm so on top of it. And then he has a flare up and, you know, I've done everything I was told to do, but yet we will still end up in that situation. And although they're quite sad things, in in a way it, it has taught me to not be so anxious about everything because I genuinely can't control it. And he just has this kindness about him that is just so lovely. And then my youngest, like you say, a bit like Honey, he has really taught me, you know, about self-acceptance because he is so his own person. And that's what I love about him. And at, at times that is a right pain in the ass because you're like, <laughs> just bloody do what I've told you to do. But I love that. And I really, really don't want that to go because my eldest was his you know he had long curly hair when he was younger and he used to love wearing unmatching trainers that was like his thing went to school the hair had to be cut off because he wanted it off and he's quite aware of what he looks like my youngest could not care less if everyone in the room didn't like him which in a way sounds awful because he's not mean to anyone oh no it's great but i love that he's like well i want to do this you know his, his friends will be like right we're gonna go and play this and he's like nah like he says to me in the playground he's like sometimes i'm just tired mummy I just sit on the bench. Yeah. 
great. And I'm like, oh my God, as a kid, I'd have been like, no, I need to be involved as an adult, you know. But I love that about him. And that's something that I really want, hope doesn't leave him. Isn't it weird? We think as adults, we've learned all these lessons and we know what's what. But when we look at how kids behave, especially the age group that we're talking about, because our kids are not dissimilar in age, we've got so much to learn from them, especially with that just being, you know, before they get into, say, secondary school, and that all starts to shift because it's a harsher experience going to secondary school, as I'm sure you and I will have experienced. But for kids today with social media, but before all of that, when they are, you know, preschool or young kids just doing their thing, they really know who they are and they know what they want. And Rex is very similar to that. You know, he'll wear some very interesting options of clothing <laughs> or or he'll just on a on a day where he's meant to wear a sports kit he's like nah I'm just gonna wear my uh my my school jumper and my school shoes today and I'm like you can't you've got sport he's like I just am and he doesn't care <laughs> that that's not what everyone else is doing he feels like doing that and we get it beaten out of us maybe that starts in secondary school we get it beaten mm. out of us and it's quite interesting to look back and go what was I like as a kid? Like, you know exactly what you want as a kid and what you like and how you want to do life. And it gets kind of, yeah, I guess beaten out of us a little bit. Mm. I think because as well, we I spoke to a author, Amanda Prouse, and sadly her son tried to take his own life when he was 19. So they've written a book and they're both in it. So it's both sides of the story. And there's a bit that really stuck out to me where she said she remembers walking along with him one day when he was at like, preschool so like nursery age and saying like what do you want to be when you're older and he said mummy there was someone mowing the lawn and he said mummy I want to be happy like that man and that's all he said and she said oh but you could be anything you could be a doctor you could be an astronaut you could be this you could be that and she says and now more than anything he's like 19 she said all I want him to be is happy and she said, I remember that conversation because I think, why didn't I just say, yes, that's perfect? You know, and I think we feel like we're trying to say, but look, the world is your oyster. These are all your options. Go get them. You can do whatever you want. But maybe just saying, yeah, do whatever. <laughs> whatever. Do whatever. Yeah, just be happy. Do whatever. I know it's so hard as a parent not to let the fear in, isn't it? The fear of not only the things we've talked about, not doing what we believe is our best or giving our kids you know a plethora of options as to what they can do and be but also you know how much are they achieving how much are they pushing themselves and I think we feel a bit scared about that that we're that we haven't we're not giving our kids like the best 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 life Mm. rather than a happy life maybe but also an interesting life and you know you and I are very lucky that we've had interesting lives and I don't mean that because we're in the public eye or you know you're a pop star or whatever I mean it because there have been some massive ups and huge downs and that's something to learn from and that's something to work with I guess Mm. and that is the one of the things that helps me sometimes I guess alleviate that fear a bit it's thinking all of it's okay there's room for all of it because we've got to go through this sort of crazy roller coaster to figure it out we won't ever figure it out but to keep trying to keep trying to work out what this life is all about it's um it's scary to let your kids do that themselves I think we want to protect them so much and and I think if anything COVID's kind of shown us that we can't really do that like 
know, I remember my kids going back into school and me saying, oh, there's this really nasty germ. Some people get better and some people don't. And I kind of left it as that. And then they came out of school when they were allowed back at school and they were like, it's COVID mum and it's COVID-19 <laughs> and it's a really bad virus and all this. And I thought, you know, like you, I can't protect them from everything. You know, like you say, they're going to have ups and downs like we did. And I think we feel like we have to expose them to so much when they're young and they have to figure out so much already. When you look back at your life, you hadn't figured everything out. Like you say, we're still figuring it out. You yeah, know, God, people absolutely. say to me all the time, oh, do the boys play football? Are they really sporty? Are they really musical? And I'm like, no, I don't know. My kids are the only two kids at their school. Uh, I This isn't even a lie. At their last school, they were the only two kids in their year groups that didn't play football after school. <laughs> what does Wayne think about this? <laughs> he does not care because he's oh, like, good. I didn't even start playing until I was seven. Yeah. He turned down his first opportunity to go and play for someone or whatever because he liked playing with his mates. And people are so obsessed with getting their kids into things. You know, yeah. clubs clubs are great and we're lucky that we have them and some people need them so they can work and whatever. Oh, Frankie, I've got to be honest with you. I find them fucking stressful. Uh, mine don't do anything. Not I, mine. I almost wish they would. <laughs> no, mine don't. Mine did Mine did swimming and then when they learned to swim, I was like, okay, they can swim now. That's great. They yeah. both hated going to swimming lessons. Honey did ballet for a bit, but sometimes because of the traffic, we, we missed the start of it and then we can't get in. <laughs> and I'm trying to get a ballet kit on in the toilet of the local bakery and it's like what are we and she's going oh mummy you're rushing me and I'm going what am I why am I doing this why why am I doing doing this and that's and that's kind of the thing you know sometimes I have times with my kids where I think should I be making them do more you know because other parents are and should I be you know pushing them to do it and there and I and I always struggle with that fine line fern of like encouragement and pushing same you know like my my son they had the option to play an instrument next term carter said he didn't want to do it i put him down because it was while he was at school for a tryout so it wasn't like i was signing him up to it loves the piano really wants to play it great the minute he doesn't want to play it he won't play it but then where is that no you've committed to this you need to stick to it i don't know i wish i knew the answer i don't know the only piece i can find in it is I'm pretty sure that back in the day when, like, Einstein was floating about or David Bowie, (laughs) that David Bowie wasn't at, like, eccentric music club and Einstein wasn't going to, like, (laughs) extracurricular maths and science. Like, I think you just find your thing. But, like, this is a really modern-day concept that kids have to go to, like, eight clubs a week and then they're going to excel at one of those things. They might end up hating all of it and becoming a landscape gardener i mean who knows you know as 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 like a child you know being at stage school and stuff and going for auditions and things i saw so many kids that didn't want to be oh, there and they're stressed out you know, and yeah and and you know I, even people say to me oh you should get the kids into modeling you should get them into this and i was like no because that's stressful for me my kids are being paid for a job that they've been booked for and that day they don't fancy it yeah i am not going to stand there like stressed because also being from that background of thinking, oh my God, they just want to smile. Or, you know, we did one thing with them and they, they didn't say the right thing when they walked into the room and they made them do it so many times. Oh. And in the end, I was like, hey, you're not going to get anything from them. This isn't their thing. Like, this is not who they are. No. And I'm not that parent that's going to stand there and be like, you know, you have to do this. It's quite liberating talking about that, isn't it? I, I remember talking to one other mum a while back who went, oh no, my kids don't do clubs. And I was like... What, it like gave me permission to go, oh my God, I don't have to do all this crazy rushing around <laughs> after the school run. And I think we've just got to 
what we've got to do is just, it's the judgment thing, isn't it? Lose the judgment, do our own thing. We've got to really, like we said earlier, maybe just be inspired by our kids and just do life our own way without yeah. all the out, because they're not listening to outside noise. And that's what I was going to say. I think we forget to look at our kids and think, right, what is it that you want? What is it that you're telling me? And again, I feel like that sounds a bit, you know, if you said that to an older generation, they'd be like, they're a kid, they do as you tell them to do. Yeah. Which in, you know, some parts of life is is totally true. Eat your broccoli. It's good yeah, for you. Please eat the broccoli, um, please. <laughs> but even that, I'm like, oh, you'll eat it at some point. I know. But yeah, I just think we, we, we look too much at ourselves and too much at everyone else. And actually, the only people we really need to be looking at is them. But it's easier said than done. You're so right. You're so right. That's a perfect note to finish on. That's absolutely <laughs> what we need to do. And um, and give ourselves a bloody break. Oh, I know. Fern, go for a two-hour walk, you crazy cat. <laughs> I know. I might. I might after this. Hello, Jesse. Just popping out to get my nails done and have a walk. Thanks very much. Uh, I love catching up with you. It's been so nice no, talking again. You. And it's such a brilliant book. And it's so refreshing to talk about and to read about in this book mental health in the context of pregnancy and having a newborn and parenting it's so complex and there's so much to say and in the same structure that you did with the last book having that sort of expert-led not only advice but sort of analysis on what you're saying I think is really cool so um, thank you for writing it and and it's been so lovely to talk today thank you Frankie oh thank you so much for packing that chat with so many really candid stories but also very practical parenting tips as well I got I got so much from it the main headline obviously being that you know yourself and your kids best you do Frankie's book Grow Motherhood Mental Health and Me is out right now and as we mentioned it's part narrative exploration and part first aid manual for parents and it's it's a real eye-opener you're gonna love it do get your hands on a copy if you can If you want to hear more in-depth chats about intrusive thoughts and catastrophizing, you can always go back and listen to the episode that I mentioned with the lovely Stacey Solomon. That's in our archive. And following the Happy Place podcast feed, we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes. So go follow us on Instagram. Thank you. A massive thanks again to the lovely Frankie Bridge, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, And to you, lovely lot, I say it every week and I mean it from the depths of my heart. Thank you for listening. You're brilliant. As always, I'll see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.